Hey everybody, it's Matt with the Interactive Entrepreneur, sponsored by Interactive Accounts, where we help minimize your taxes and measure your success. Today we're joined by Lisa McKellar-Porcine, who's actually an attorney in the employment law field. And Lisa has more than 18 years of experience, the vast majority of which has been in civil litigation, including motion practice, depositions, mediation, settlement negotiations, and trial preparation. Her firm, McKellar Porcine LLC, has the pleasure of defending small, medium, even publicly traded and multinational companies, bleh, let me try to say that three times fast, with respect to employment disputes brought by current and former employees. She's represented businesses with respect to corporate agreements and defense of various civil lawsuits. Ms. Porcine regularly advises employers on requirements and best practices as to discrimination, harassment, and retaliation claims under state and federal employment laws. And she also counsels clients on an assortment of employment law issues to avoid potential costly litigation. So Lisa, thank you for joining us this morning. And I hope I got the pronunci pronunciation of your name correctly. Yes, you did, Matt. Thank you so much for having me here. Absolutely, um, absolutely. And Lisa, we've spoken before several times. We're in network groups together. Um, and today we want to talk about something new that came out recently with respect to the employment law. And that is the Pregnancy Workers Fairness Act, or PWFA. Lisa, what could you tell us a little bit about the PWFA and what employers might want to know about this? Okay, so the PWFA, um, short for Pregnancy Workers Fairness Act, was basically passed because there were loopholes in the ADA as well as uh, Title VII's uh, coverage with respect to pregnant workers. What's and, the ADA, Elisa? I'm sorry. For those of <laughs> us that don't know what the ADA is, what's the ADA? Sure. The ADA is the Americans with Disabilities Act. Ah, okay. Great. Thank you for sharing that. No problem. And then Title VII is short for Title VII of the Civil Rights Act of 1964, which happens to also uh, prohibit sex and gender discrimination. And there's specifically within that a Pregnancy Discrimination Act. Gotcha. Thank you for clarifying that for me. No problem. No problem at all. So getting back to the Pregnancy Workers Fairness Act, uh, the reason that Congress passed it was because there were certain situations that pregnant workers would often encounter where they didn't necessarily have rights. For example, uh, the right to take more recent, uh, excuse me, more frequent water breaks or more frequent bathroom breaks, things like that. And so Congress sort of decided, you know, we need to take the extra mile um, and uh, implement uh, a strong, basically, a stronger law with respect to uh, pregnant workers and also provide more clarity for businesses that have pregnant workers. I've had a lot of pregnant workers recently. I got to tell you, Lisa, we are 20 people here. Mm -hmm. And within the last year and a half, 
One, two, three, four childbirths and one expected. Wow. So it's like 25%. I swear there's a baby boom right now in the in the world. <laughs> so talking about this right now, for me, it, it couldn't be more time. It really couldn't be more time. Well, that's great. That makes me feel awesome. <laughs> Um, so let me tell you a little bit about the Pregnancy Workers Fairness Act. And specifically, since you brought up that you have 20 workers or more, um, let's, assuming those 20 workers are employees, classified as employees, you would be covered under the PWFA um, because of the fact that you have at least 15 employees or more. So Assuming you have 15 employees or more, you are covered. Um, let's, if you had 10, no. <laughs> and let's say, you know, if you have uh, 10 independent contractors and 10 employees, then no, you're not covered. But let's assume for this, you know, I guess for this podcast that you are covered and have at least 15 employees or more. Uh, what this mandates is that you've got to essentially, a pregnant worker, let's say, if she comes to you and requests a reasonable accommodation, you need to then offer the reasonable accommodation or basically engage in what's called an interactive discussion as far as, you know, how you can um, accommodate uh, that worker's request. And if you can't, then maybe there's an alternative that you can do. Let's say, for example, there's a receptionist in the front that, or one of, um, excuse me, the EEOC gave an example of a pregnant worker who is a cashier and typically stands up, for example. And then she says, you know, I'm pregnant. I really can't stand up this much. I need to be sitting down. And so a reasonable accommodation in that, in that setting might be, okay, go out and buy a $25 stool, have the employer go out and buy a $25 stool. She's able to then sit on that, and that shouldn't be any sort of what's called an undue hardship. So that's one example. Um, you know, another thing that it could... Um, result in is, for example, an employee might request telework uh, based on her circumstances or light duty, or, I mean, there's a number of different uh, potential reasonable accommodations that the pregnant worker might request. But the gotcha. employee needs to be a qualified employee. For example, this also applies to the whole um, there's also an anti-discrimination provision within it. So it's not just, um, actually, it's not just employees that you currently have. It's also applicants for jobs, for example. Um, if there's a qualified applicant, um, then you need to also uh, provide them with a proposed reasonable accommodation if they ask for that. Um, but the burden isn't on the employer to ask what reasonable accommodation do you need? The burden is on the employee to bring it up. Um, so that's really important to recognize. Um, I have a quick question, Lisa. Sure. When an employer is approached by an employee about making reasonable uh, accommodations 
is it best to have that conversation just the employer and the employee or is it better to have that conversation the employer the employee and like let's say your office manager or another staff member so that there's two or more people on the company side that can listen take notes and and basically there's a witness right because i'm hearing what you're saying and if I'm having this conversation with just the pregnant worker and she's explaining her reasonable accommodations and we're just having a conversation, then it's just my word versus your word, right? So either I want to record this or I want to have a witness is how I'm thinking about <laughs> this. Well, I think, you know, when there's any sort of HR issue that could turn problematic, it would be best practices to have another person in the room. You're right. Uh, but specifically um, your office manager, or let's say you have an HR uh, human resources director, that's also the person who you'd want to have. Yeah, most of the companies I work with that have 20 or more, unless they're like three or 400 employees, they don't have an HR person. Some of them they don't, don't even mm -hmm. have an office manager. You know, they're just, Maybe they've got like a manager, you know what I mean? Or something like that. So, and that might even be the person the employee approaches. So it's like, okay, <laughs> you know, got to teach your managers a little something well, here. And too that brings that. me up to, you know, really first level supervisors or managers really need to be taught about this because this is a major change. Um, pregnancy workers now have a lot more rights than they had prior to June 27th. Starting June 27th of this year, um, the Pregnancy Workers Fairness Act went into an went into effect and the EEOC, for example, has been accepting charges since June 27th of this year with and respect to- And who is the EEOC? Just so oh, I- That's okay. I know <laughs> attorneys throw in acronyms like, you know, monkeys throw bananas feels but you know. employment opportunity commission i'm sorry for all the acronyms no no um, no it's okay that's it's my job to kind of just say i don't know what that is okay so let me explain with basically the vast majority of employ with vast majority of employment discri employment discrimination issues before an employee can go out and file a lawsuit they need to exhaust the administrative process. What does that mean? That means they need to file what's called a charge of discrimination. Um, in that charge of discrimination, they set forth the facts and circumstances of why they believe a certain law or certain laws have been violated. Uh, for example, let's say it's um, I'm going to give an example of a woman with a high-risk pregnancy. Uh, let's say she's got preeclampsia. Um, she's needed more. It's not your average uh, pregnancy. And um, suppose, and that's in that example, she may be covered by the Americans with Disabilities Act. But in addition to that, um, she could assert, let's say, I mean, I'm assuming a situation where she believes that she's been discriminated against uh, for this hypothetical scenario. So she'd also put in, okay, violation of Title VII. Um, also, she would throw in the Pregnancy Workers Fairness Act. Um, 
And the EOC would have to receive that then? He would file this charge, which is a document that she's also then signing. Um, typically, oftentimes it's prepared by, in all honesty, they're assisted with the plaintiff's attorneys are assisting their clients with preparing the charges. Sure. Yeah. I mean, and, I wouldn't know how to do it. So I would seek professional help if it were me. Of you course. Know. And, and the EOC, is that like a federal agency? or It is. It's a federal agency. Yes. Okay. But there's also okay. the Florida Commission on Human Relations. So they can go to they, meaning, um, let's say in this the employee, right? Exactly. Um, could also go to the Florida Commission on Human Relations and they can do what's called a dual filing. They check off both boxes saying, all right, I'm going to file this under the EEOC and the, and the Florida Commission on Human Relations. And with that dual filing, it's you're covering both bases, meaning you can then go out and file uh, a basically claim that you've also also the Florida Civil Rights Act has been violated, which is basically a counterpart part to the federal um, title. Do other seven, states have these counterparts too? Because yeah, I know we're we're here in Florida, right? But what if somebody's right. listening in Arkansas or in California, do other states have these similar type of agencies? They do. Most of them do. Exactly. Most of them I do. Can't okay. I can't speak for every state in the United States. I really, I don't know, but I'm sure. No, neither. I, I wouldn't expect you to, but you know, of like, course, just, I would just so, think like, if somebody's listening. I would are, think that almost all stadiums. of them do. Yeah. I would, okay. I would okay. gather that in every state they have their own commission. Gotcha. Okay. Um, um, what was I going to say? I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no problem. But so you've got to exhaust, if you're an employee, you've got to exhaust those administrative procedures first before filing a charge or just before filing a, a complaint for, let's say in federal state, in federal or state court. What does that mean? If you then, for example, let's say you didn't file a charge of discrimination with the EOC or the Florida Commission on Human Relations, your complaint would be dismissed if you didn't do it for not. Gotcha. So not procedurally, doing... there's there's a way to go through this if you're having some issues with your employer. Otherwise, the employer can just kind of make some type of reasonable accommodation and make everybody happy and, you know, take it from there. Well, I wouldn't say otherwise. I mean, okay. you know. Explain. Okay, sure, 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 sure. Because uh, I'm telling you, otherwise, no. This is this is if things go south. <laughs> meaning, no, no. I'm talking like if somebody approaches you, 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 mm -hmm. you know, before you get to this point of filing a complaint with either the EOC or a local state agency, mm -hmm. first you have to try to talk. By the to way, not another. complaint, charge of charge. Thank you. Um, before you file this charge. You have to talk with your employer and, you know, try to work out some type of reasonable accommodation. What if they just like say, I don't want to talk to him or her. I'm just going to file a complaint like, uh, a, you know, what do you do then? Who are you referring to the employee? Like filing? I'm a pregnant worker, right? Okay. Mm -hmm. And let's say I work at a, a law firm. Okay. Right. And 
my chair, I, I can't sit. I, you know, I tried standing with a standing desk. I'm, I'm uncomfortable, blah, blah, blah. You know, and instead of going to my employer and trying to have a conversation about some type of reasonable accommodation, I just file a complaint. What, what happens then? Well, I would say in that scenario, the EOC or the Florida Commission on Human Relations would dismiss that sort of claim as frivolous. Gotcha. Um, but still, the employer would have the burden to respond with what's called a position statement saying, for example, he or she, well, it would be she, never uh, came to me with respect to a request for reasonable accommodation in that example. Um, or, you know, let's say in another example, they're claiming, she's claiming, okay, they discriminated against me based on XYZ promotion, or they discriminated against me in terms of uh, lowering my salary, something of that sort, yeah. taking some sort of adverse employment action um, based on the fact that I was pregnant. In those sort of scenarios, you're going to respond, you meaning the employer, with what's called a position statement. And yeah. in the position statement, you're going to set forth all the reasons uh, why it was clearly not discrimination. You're going to set forth, for example, um, or in a scenario where she claims to have requested a reasonable accommodation but didn't, you're going to maybe attach an affidavit, you know, saying, for example, I'm the office manager and she claimed that she spoke with me. I never spoke with, you know, I was never presented with this circumstance. Um, in fact, we did offer the promotion or who knows what, you know, I'm just giving you examples. Yeah, just, you know, you know, spitballing here, so to say, there's a bunch of different things. Um, what should employers do knowing now that this law is in effect since, you know, basically July 1st, um, just because I don't remember June 20, 27 or 27. 26, whatever. <laughs> um, what's a good idea for employers to do today? Like, should they be having like a a company wide meeting, or should they be just addressing the the current workers that they know are pregnant? Or what would what would be your suggestion? Well, my suggestion would be for anyone who to have a seminar with anyone, have training, basically for any employee who's in a supervisory position. Okay. Uh, specifically, for example, someone who's a manager needs to know about this Pregnancy Workers Fairness Act. Um, I had a situation one time where the employer had a supervisor that essentially said to an employee, for example, after the employee requested time off, um, or excuse me, she requested, she brought in a doctor's note um, saying that she needed to work from home, high-risk pregnancy and all that. And supervisor said, well, you can't do this job from home. It's an in-person uh, position. And so in other words, like, are you resigning? Or what do you want us to do with this, essentially? And, you know, a scenario like that not didn't even really engage in the interactive discussion. 
not a good scenario <laughs> from a liability standpoint. In any event, I bring it up just because a lot of supervisors don't know how to handle these scenarios. And so really, I would I would strongly advise any business where they've got at least 15 employees or more to have um, training with respect to how to handle these scenarios, specifically how to handle a scenario with a pregnant worker. Yeah, um, sure. Because there are several laws that apply, Pregnancy Workers Fairness Act, the ADA, Americans with Disabilities Act, Title Seven coverage, you know, but also from a state standpoint in Florida, you still have the Florida Civil Rights Act would be applicable. So, I mean, there's a number of laws that could potentially be violated, but now we have an even broader one, which is the Pregnancy Workers Fairness Act. So, yes. you know, for example, things that might have been legal before for the employer to do are now uh potentially in breach of uh, the Pregnancy Workers Fairness Act. Um, for example, a, a key one is what if they can't perform an essential function of the job, but just temporarily while they're pregnant? Well, guess what? They, they still, even with that reasonable accommodation, if they can perform it later after the pregnancy, then you're still required to perform that, to offer that reasonable accommodation. Yeah, like so, a temporary type of, you know, hiatus or, you know, something exactly. like that. Gotcha. Um, Lisa, we're kind of running out of time here. Okay. Um, is there any other key facts from the PW, the Pregnancy Workers Fairness Act, the PWFA? I'm sorry, I'm trying hard to do the acronym thing. It's just not rolling <laughs> off the tongue. Um, is there any other key facts aside from A, being aware of this new law, B, uh, what I've heard so far is training. Uh, C, the point that, that that I kind of brought up is that you really don't want to have these conversations by yourself. You know, mm -hmm. if you do get approached by an employee about making reasonable accommodations, what else, like, key takeaway should an employer know with respect to this new law? Sure. So, if some, for example, if the pregnant worker presents a reasonable accommodation that is not um, basically that the employer can't perform without an undue hardship, they still have the duty to engage in the interactive process. Okay. So what does that mean? It means, all right, you know, that might not work for the business, but let's, what about this? Would this, in, would this potential solution work for you? Um, the other thing that employers should know is they can't just assume that the pregnant worker needs leave. They can't just put the pregnant worker on leave without the pregnant worker um, agreeing to that. That's another sure. key I mean, maybe if the pregnant worker, let's say, is a mechanic, right, and she's underneath cars all day, and she's on her feet, and then all of a sudden she's in a pregnancy that becomes a little bit more complicated, right? Maybe the employer could say, hey, look, I, I know you can't be, you know, uh, working a wrench right now, but we could maybe move you over to the service desk where you could sit in a chair and, you know, process 
customers, you know, requests for services or something like that, you know, type of a, a workaround. It's, it's common in workers' comp cases, right? Where if somebody's injured and they're like a delivery driver and you say, okay, you, you can't drive right now, buddy, but, you know, you can maybe do dispatch or something like that, make some type of reasonable accommodation. Right. Assuming she's requesting in that scenario, assuming she's requesting a reasonable accommodation. I mean, you can't just as well, the if she requests something unreasonable, like let's say she's a mechanic and mm -hmm. she's requesting that all of a sudden she just be, you know, all I want to do is, is give customers water. <laughs> that might not be a right right no of course in that scenario you would you know say look that's that's not a reasonable accommodation that we can maybe provide but how about this you know you're yeah. still engaging in the interactive discussion um you know i mean especially with small businesses while it's very hard to prove an undue hardship you at least, you know, with that particular scenario, I would say, all right, bottom line's not going to be, you know, that's not going to help the business in terms of making money, uh, you know, for sure. <laughs> I don't think customers particularly need water to be given to them. Uh, that's just, it, it's. Yeah, that's just not, not a full-time job. Sorry. But, you know, some people make what, what some people think is reasonable in their head, Lisa. Right. It's not I know, but that's why reasonable. <laughs> <laughs> so that's why I said, you know, interact, engage in the interactive process. You can't just say no and stop there. No, peace out. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you have to engage in the interactive process. So, all right. I would, so. you know, recommend some sort of documentation with respect to engaging in the interactive process. I mean, yeah, if you're definitely. engaging in it, make sure you've got notes there because you never know what can happen. Oh, record it. I mean, you know, there's nothing, so far as I know, there's nothing wrong so with it. So far as she knows that she's being recorded. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, hey, I'm going to record this conversation, by the right. way, just for argument's sake, you know what I mean? Right. I always, when I'm always in type of a, whenever I get involved in an HR issue, mm -hmm. uh, I record as long as I mean they know it and there's oh yeah no you just tell them hey bud you know this is we're gonna record this one <laughs> just so you know right. yeah yeah I've I've been there I've done that um and uh not not a comfortable place to be but you know no a lot of these conversations aren't comfortable for the employer or the employee no but I ha I have a pregnant work right now you know what I mean mm -hmm. um and I let her know about the the new rules of the PWFA. Um, there was actually a like a handout or something like that that the that the EOC has on their website, I believe. Um, <laughs> yep. that you know I, I showed her, I sent her the link to it. Um, and you know we're an accounting firm, so we're just kind of sitting on our butts all day in front of computers. It's not you know, it's not like we're, like I said, a mechanic or working on a, a line at an automobile factory or something. So it's it's easier for, for me to make reasonable accommodations. You know what I mean? It might just be like, hey, do you need a butt cushion or a back cushion, you know, um, or work from home a little bit more? You know what I mean? Right. No it's a lot easier for you than, say, an employee that normally has to do a lot of travel 
for example. Travel, standing on their feet all right, day. Right, a reasonable like accommodation said. would be like suspension, even if it's an essential essential job duty. Um, under the Pregnancy Workers Fairness Act, the reasonable accommodation could include suspension, temporary suspension of travel. Yeah, you're gonna you're gonna see your clients on Zoom from now on. Right. Exactly. <laughs> we all did that during COVID. It still works. So, you know, hundred percent. but, um, Lisa, uh, first and foremost, thank you so much for sharing all this information with us. We really appreciate it. If anyone has any cons uh, questions or concerns about this, or for that matter, any employment law related questions, how can they contact you? Sure. Thank you so much for asking, Matt. Um, they can contact by calling, contact my firm, McKellar Porcine PLLC, uh, by calling 305-721-2954, 305-721-2954. Or also they could contact me by e emailing me at lisa at mckellarporcine.com, L-I-S-A at M-C-K-E. L L A R Porcine P O U R S I N E dot com. And we're gonna put that information in the show notes as well because McKellar Porcine is is long. Yes, I know. <laughs> it's long. I, know. I uh I shortened my email up because it's just like interactive accountants. That's like so long as well. So we just went I A dot tax. And it's like <laughs> That's really that's it people people ask me that question they're like that's your email that's it i'm like yeah it's mad at ia.tax really i'm like really that's oh that's great that's so short I'm like thank you <laughs> but um any questions for lisa reach out to her uh, lisa aside from being licensed in florida i believe you're also licensed in new york as well that is correct yes i'm also licensed in new york me new too new york has much more, I, I would say, I'm not going to say opening a can of worms with respect to business. Well, I would say New York employer laws at the local level are, are much, much more, more employee friendly, employee friendly than let's say a state Florida. like Florida, for sure. Yeah, without a doubt. I uh, grew up uh, in New Jersey myself and my mm -hmm. uh, my first office was actually in New York. So I'm, I'm, I'm a little familiar with the turf up there. Uh, well, again, Lisa, I just want to say thank you so much. Uh, once again, this is the Interactive Entrepreneur, and Lisa is an entrepreneur, just like you and I. She has her own law firm. So if you have any questions for Lisa or if you need to engage our services, reach out. I would if I had an issue. Thanks, everybody. Thank you Take so care. much for having Thanks, me Thanks, Lisa.